If you'd stand, I want to read the word together, so if you'd pick up your Bibles as you do stand. Uh, if you want to follow along, please do so, but I want to read. We'll pick up in verse 5 here in Second Thessalonians 2. I want to do honor to the, to the word of the Lord in this very difficult passage because it, it really does lay down, in essence, this decision that all of us must make. And it says that there is a time coming when the lawless one is going to be revealed. And if you remember last time, last Sunday, we saw three conditions. We discussed two of them, uh, that in fact there would be a falling away of the church, which I believe you can pretty clearly see in much of the world today, that the church has lost its savor. It's no longer salty as it should be. It's kind of watered down. Secondarily, that there would be a rise of lawlessness itself, in other words, people turning away from God, but more importantly, that as the final days of mankind's sojourn here under the age of grace come to an end, that there would be a world ruler that would come on the scene. We know him as the Antichrist, and ultimately, uh, he would be the one who will kind of lead the charge of evil in the very last days. Here's the good news. He hasn't come yet, and so there's still time for us to be very busy about our Father's business, preaching the gospel and seeing people come to faith in Christ. So let's pick up in verse 5. We'll read down to verse 12 uh, here in Second Thessalonians 2. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be re- revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, for he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And you'll notice three references to the personal pronoun he. The first one is not capitalized, that's the Antichrist coming. The second two are capitalized, uh, that would be the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is still at work in the world today through every last person in here who names the name of the Lord. One of the things that happens to you when you become a Christian is you are indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit literally dwells within you. And so this picture is a picture of the very last days of mankind's time here on earth. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Amen. Can't wait for that day. One day Jesus is coming back. We sang about him this morning. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen? He's not coming as the lamb again. That time's over. But that time is still available. He came as a lamb that we might be saved. But the next time he comes, he's coming back to deal, finish the work that's necessary to send Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet where they belong, kick them through the goalpost of life right into the pit. Sorry, I couldn't resist. (laughs) So I'm kind of looking forward to that day, just saying. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power and signs and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure 
and unrighteousness. Would you pray with me? Father, how we pray that by the end of this service, there would not be a single person left in this building that does not know you, Jesus, personally as Lord and Savior. And we ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit right now because you are today, right now, this moment, still restraining evil. You are still speaking forth the truth. You are empowering the words of every pastor who preaches the word correctly and rightly. And so, Lord, we invite you to do that work in our midst today. As many already today have given their lives to you, Jesus, we pray that there would be salvation in the house of the Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd take your seats. So Scripture now has turned our attention to the very last days. And that day is coming when the King of Kings will come. The Lord of Lords will come when the Lion of the tribe of Judah will return to this earth. And when He does, the time will be over. You see, right now the age of grace lingers. And right now, if you're here today and you're listening to this message, you have the opportunity to turn from your sin, repent, and be saved. But here's the issue with me saying that. As surely as I say that, there will be some who will say, well, I don't need to do that today. There's always tomorrow. What this passage is pointing to is there will one day be a day that in which you can say there will be no tomorrow. And here's the problem. Not a single person on this earth knows when that day is. We don't know when the church is going to be taken home. And we don't know when the Lord is going to return precisely. But what we do know is the condition of the world as it will be directly before the Lord takes the church home and then the seven years of the tribulation ensue and then Jesus comes again. We do know the times and the seasons. We don't know the day and the hour, but we do know the times and the seasons. We saw three things that we mentioned last week. Two of them we've already discussed. The Antichrist that will come and that time of apostasy, a turning away from the things of the Lord. And I think we can safely say that the world has now really begun that downward march away from the things of God. That time, I believe, is upon us. How far we are into that time, I don't know. But I know this. The world is not becoming more Christ-like as we sit here today. And in fact, Christians are being blamed for a large portion uh, of the world's problems. And there are a lot of people in the world that would wish we would go away. Here's what's going to happen when we do. The Holy Spirit inside of every last one of you who love the Lord is also going with us. Because right now you bear the image of the true and the living God in the power of the Holy Spirit as the indwelling of the Spirit was given to you when you first believed. And so every Christian is a little beacon of the light of the world. Every Christian is a little place where the Holy Spirit can speak both of the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of sin. 
Every church that preaches Christ is that place where the world can hear the message that this is what God wants from us, this is what he expects of us, and this is how you get there, by believing on the only begotten Son of God. But there will be a day when we're all heading home. And that message is going to leave with us in that sense. Now what we will leave behind is a legacy. And so that legacy is what you need to be busy about right now and we need to be busy about as the church. Because every person that you talk to today that has not received the Lord Jesus Christ and believed on his name and become a child of God will have seven years to get that straight once we're out of here. And that truth will linger. That truth is going to linger on messages on the internet. That truth is going to linger in books that are written. That truth is going to linger in Bible studies given. That truth will linger. So we need to be very careful what we do with the truth because I do believe that now is the time for us to preach like we've never preached. Eternity is in the balance for those who hear. And so today, where are we? Well, we can safely say that day is coming. And right now, the restrainer is still here. The Holy Spirit is still at work in this world. Because trust me, this world can get a whole lot worse. Your Bible says so. You see, we look at the world today and we say, well, it's a mess. It is a mess. But it is not as big a mess as it will one day become. That's the good news. There's still time. Here's some truth about this restrainer. When you read verses 6, 7, and 8, you, you get this picture. Because you're, you're, you're told this, it says, do you not remember that I told you these things that in verse 6 it says, you know what is restraining. And so in verse 6 it's a what. But notice verse 7, the what is a he. We're told exactly what is restraining. It's a he. And he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now let me help you understand that a little bit. Because God is omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent. God cannot fully remove himself from the world, can he? Because he's everywhere at all times. And so in that sense, God will still be here and the Holy Spirit will still be here. But God can choose to no longer restrain evil as he does today through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now add to that that the vehicle through which he normally does that is guess who? You, us, the church. Look at our world today if you want to see that in action. Imagine that there's no Family Research Council in Washington, D.C. Imagine there's no Center for Law and Justice. Imagine there's no missionaries. Imagine there's no gospel being preached. Imagine that every home Bible study no longer exists. Imagine, if you will, if you took the church, the Bible-believing church, with the gospel message out of this world, do you think that the Buddhists are going to preach that message? Do you think Islam is going to preach that message? Do you think the false church, like the Mormon church, 
is going to preach that message. Because the Jesus that they talk about is also the brother of Lucifer, the very person who is responsible for this. It's not going to be the same message. The restrainer of evil is going to be gone. He who restrains will do so until he is taken out. And then the mystery of lawlessness in its full component will be revealed. You see, the truth about lawlessness is this. (laughs) It's a satanic supernatural work. All lawlessness always has been. From the very beginning with Adam and Eve to this day today, the lawlessness in the garden was Satan. Amen? Where did it start? Oh, come on now. God didn't surely say that. I mean, really. Seriously, Eve? No, he just is messing with your head. Because if you eat of that tree, you're going to become like God. So go for it, girl. Mac on the apple. Have some of that nice, luscious fruit. You see the picture? You see that restraining influence of God's voice. God's voice then was God himself in the garden saying, Adam, what in the world have you done? What did Adam lose? Adam lost the presence of God. That was the result of sin. Now imagine that when Jesus comes back to punish Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and sin itself, and he removes all of his voice. Because right now, that would be me. That would be you when you tell your friends and family about Jesus. That would be all of us. You see, the lawless one is going to come along and he's going to say, praise me that those Christians are gone. Because that one way, that one truth, that one, that narrow way, that's not the way. I mean, everyone goes to heaven under my one world religion. Oh, all of you now get prosperity under my one world government. And oh, by the way, I'm issuing you my Antichrist card. And it's good everywhere the Antichrist card is accepted, which is everywhere. And to make it convenient, we're going to make that available in either your forehead or your right hand. You see, it's a great equalizer. Brings everybody together. Solves the Middle East peace process. There's now a temple on the Temple Mount again. Jew, Gentile, Arab, everyone's just doing great. You see, the truth about lawlessness is it's often disguised as temporal peace. The great liar does what he does best, which is lie. You see, we're told, because Daniel tells us so, that very uh, a large portion, if you will, uh, of the very first three and a half years of the rise of this lawless one will be represented by peace. Oh, he's going to come. He's going to secure that one thing that right now everyone would see as a a miraculous event. 
If you were to turn on the news tomorrow morning and there is an absolute peace in the Middle East and Israel and all of its Arab neighbors are now just best buds and and the Al-Aqsa Mosque gets to stay there and the Dome of the Rock gets to stay there and just to the north of that, which is actually where we believe the Naos is, the Jews are starting to build the third temple. That would be what we call a miracle. Don't you think the world ruler that came on the scene that made that happen be a pretty popular dude or dudette? In this case, it'd be a dude. Because Scripture says so. It's going to be a man. Scripture says it's going to be a man. So you don't have to worry about it. I got asked that question last week. Well, do you think the Antichrist was Hillary? No, I do not. It's not Trump either. It's going to be a world ruler. Not the president of a nation, the president of the world. You see, he's going to come in and he's going to fill the vacuum that's been left by us. As we're pulled out, we're going to create a spiritual leadership vacuum in the world. As the Holy Spirit disappears wherever you are, because the Holy Spirit's wherever you are, Holy Spirit's in the world, but the Holy Spirit is no longer ministering in that way. Just like Jesus on the cross took our sins upon him, he put off his Godhead. That's what Scripture says. Paul wrote that. He didn't consider it robbery. He was still God. He could have stopped the Romans. He could have stopped the Jews. He could have stopped everyone. He could have said, no, I'm not doing this. But he didn't. He was faithful to complete the mission he was sent on. God the Father's plan, Jesus Christ carried it out, the Holy Spirit empowered the whole thing and raised him from the dead, all three working together as one. There's going to be a time when the Holy Spirit's going to go, let's just back off and see where this goes. Because then the whole world will actually become as lawless as it actually can be. Right now, that's not the case. Praise the Lord. But one day it will be. People will actually become as evil as they can become. And if you want to see that, if you want to read about it, you want to know what that looks like, read Revelation chapter 6 to chapter 19. Just read it. And see what the world's going to look like during that time. You're not going to like what you read. The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse is not a dressage club. You know, it's not like people just, oh, this is going to be nice. Death, famine, war on a global scale. As horrible as World War II was, nothing compared to what's described in the book of Revelation. Almost incons- You can't even say the two things in the same sentence. It doesn't even make any sense. You see, the lawless one will create a vacuum uh, that Jesus ultimately is going to come and and take care of of the vacuum that he will create because he's going to suck everybody in and destroy the world. And finally, with the brightness of his coming, I love this. Jesus is the light of the world, amen? And when that light goes on, evil disappears. One day Jesus is coming back as that infinite 
bright and shining one. The, world's, the word that's used here uh, for, for that uh, very specific light that is shown, the brightness, is actually a Greek word. It's epiphaneos. We get epiphany from it. In other words, the light bulb's going to go on and Satan's going to be gone. Amen? Can't wait for that day. Because right now, all the junk that's going on in our world is a direct result of his actions. Tempting people to do what they shouldn't do. He's going to be the tribulation superman, if you will, until Jesus comes back. And then he's going to go where he belongs. The pit is going to be bound and cast into it. Done. You see, his career is marked by three basic things, and we're, we're shown those things here. That's why we're supposed to be, as Paul would write to the church at Ephesus there in Ephesians 6, we're supposed to be strong in the power of his might. Because the one who's coming and the world that we live in is going the opposite direction. And there's going to come a point in time when that opposite direction is going to be the direction that most of the world is going. And it's not going to be good. You see, because this bogus system of government, this bogus system of religion, this bogus monetary system is going to look like a good thing. But it's going to be based in deception. It'll be a parody, if you will, of Christ's first coming. And the Antichrist is going to be very successful at fooling the world. The world will be deceived, and ultimately, God will give them over to a strong delusion. But that power, those miraculous things that are going to occur, a temple on the Temple Mount would be miraculous. That would be a sign. That would be a sign unto other people look, this guy is legit, he's real. He said he could do it. Our politicians today say they're going to do something. What happens? Exactly the opposite most of the time. I don't mean to bash our system. But the fact of the matter is, very little that we are told ever happens. Amen? Uh, Why? Because they don't have the power to do it. There's too much infighting. The system itself is basically a mess. Now imagine that somebody comes along and everything they say they can do, they get done. You don't think that the whole world will be going, huh, him? That's God right there. Because he just pulled off what exactly no one else has ever been able to do. Middle East peace would be pretty high on everybody's list. And he does it. He has miraculous ability. Those signs, very specific point that he's trying to make. Look, I am the guy for these times, he will say. And then finally, these lying wonders. So these three things working together, power, signs, and lying wonders. That's the impact of awe upon someone seeing these things, but being deceived by what they say into believing that this is somehow actually good. The Antichrist is going to be able to do that. He's going to have the whole world deceived, so much so that at the middle of the tribulation, the second three and a half years, he'll break that covenant with Israel. 
He'll actually show his true colors and then set himself up in that temple that is not there right now and demand to be worshipped as God. Because he will have done these three things. You saw my power. You saw my signs. They're wonders. I don't think they're lying. It's the real deal. You see, his career will be amazing. And he's got some credentials to go along with that career. And they're not good ones. Your Bible just told you, we just read, that the career of the Antichrist will be with all unrighteous deception. In other words, everything in this world right now is lying. Amplify it. In other words, exactly what Paul would write to the church They're in Romans chapter 1. Everything that's in there is going to be now in full swing. People will be worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Good will become evil. Evil will become good. And this guy is going to be nearly perfect at convincing everyone that unrighteousness is actually good. We're heading that direction right now. You want to see it in action I'm a child of, of the 50s. So I was a teenager in the 60s. And as a teenager in the 60s, we got to witness the sexual revolution. Supposed to set everybody free so you could really enjoy life. Can I tell you what it actually did? It took the nuclear family and nearly destroyed it to where now over half of all people who get married don't stay married. That's a direct result of the sexual revolution and no-fault divorce. Oh, it's okay. You know, everybody makes mistakes. But that's called good. Well, you need to be happy. Find me the need-to-be-happy verse, please. People always tell me this. Well, you know, God wants you to be happy. No, he wants you to tell other people about the happiness that you have in him. But in there it says, you will have tribulation. Amen? Amen. Amen? So there's going to be stuff you're going to go through. You ain't going to like it, okay? It's not all going to be roses. But God wants you to be happy. That's unrighteous deception. Oh, God would love for everybody to be happy, but he also tells us how to do that. Blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do good unto those who spitefully use you and persecute you for his name's sake. You, you see, he, he gave us almost the antithesis of what the world says to do. He says, when you're hurt, you love them back. The world says, when you get hurt, you hurt them back harder than they hurt you. Unrighteous deception. Now magnify times infinity. It will be infinitely worse when the lawless one comes on the scene. Why? Because Satan, his boss, is the father of all lies, Sir John eight forty four. And when Satan speaks, he speaks from his own resources, which are nothing but lies. So he tells you things you want to hear that feed your flesh, make you feel good about yourself, and bad about somebody else. You're right, they're wrong. Satan is the first narcissist. Okay? He invented it. Now you take care of yourself, Eve. 
Adam, come on, grow up, man. You need to take this relationship by the horns here. You need to do what's right for you. Blame her for your sin. He's been doing that since the beginning. He's still doing it today. And one day he's going to get an opportunity to really do this. But it has not yet happened. I want you to turn to John chapter 3, and I want to end with this. You see, people often say, well, you know, people don't come to faith in Christ because they never had a chance to hear, or, you know, they were born in the wrong nation, or there's all kinds of excuses that are normally given. And while it is imperative, I use that word very precisely, it is imperative that we be busy about our Father's business preaching the gospel, people don't get saved because we were obedient. We got saved because God is merciful and kind. And he's not willing that any should perish and that all should come to repentance. And he uses us to preach the gospel, which is what I'm doing right now. But I want you to follow along. You see, all of you in here, almost assuredly, even if you came in as a visitor and you've never been to church before, you probably watched a football game, so you know John 3.16. You may not even know what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now what follows right after that are the verses that I want to focus on. And here's what it says. Picking up in verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is, what does that say? Condemned already. From birth, unless you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter where you're born, no matter how good you are or how good you are not, No matter what your economic situation is, you have always had a choice to either believe or not believe. And if you're here today, I'm asking you to hear what I'm about to say with attentive ears. That has always been the case. There will not be anybody in hell that got there accidentally or got there providentially. Someone else put them there. The only people that will perish are people who choose to not believe the gospel. Now, how God does that in every circumstance is the work of the Holy Spirit. You are responsible for what you do know as a believer to share the gospel so that people can hear the gospel, receive, and believe. But Jesus said this, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, when people complain about the narrow way, they're actually complaining about Jesus. They're complaining about what he said about himself. Because he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jeff Gill did not invent that. No church did. No pastor came up with the four spiritual laws and said, man, you need to really do these things because this is great. Religion says so. No, those things are the words of Christ. You have to believe in order to be saved. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world 
And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You see, when you invest your whole life in evil things, it becomes very difficult for you to believe because your whole life is invested in evil things. And when I say evil, I'm not talking about, you know, you're a sociopath, mass murderer. You feed your own flesh. You think of you first. You are selfish to the core. Every relationship is centered around, what can I do for me? Your thoughts are generally consistently. I, I, I kind of want to do what makes me feel good and happy. You see, that kind of evil. You see, that puts us all in the evil category, doesn't it? Because I haven't met, I, I have not met an unselfish person truly in my entire life. Children are born selfish. They whine and cry about things that are not true. Right? Give two kids a cookie. They will beat each other to a pulp over the bigger piece. You didn't teach them that. You didn't say, you know, get that big piece of cookie right there. Just knock their teeth out and take it from them. As a parent, you never tell your children that, but yet they somehow know how to be selfish. Amen? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the condition of mankind born into this world. David actually went so far as to say, conceived in wickedness was I. From my mother's womb, I came out that way. Notice what Jesus said. Men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. I just keep doing what I'm doing. And everybody around me can keep doing what they're doing. And we'll just all do that together. And then nobody looks bad. Sound like any world that you live in? That's pretty much how we deal with things, isn't it? We just, well, you got your problem, I got my problem. So we'll just ignore your problem and ignore my problem. And we'll just all have problems together. That's the effect of evil in our world. Evil begets evil. Causes people to do things that they think are okay because other people are doing it. And they each tell each other, well, you're okay, I'm okay. But he who does the truth comes to the light. He who does the truth comes to the light. That his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. You see, here's the thing for us today. Don't believe the lie. The lying one's coming. I'm going to ask you all to stand. And invariably when I teach a message like this, someone will say, well, I was kind of strong. Look, there are parts of the Bible I can't dumb down. I, I, I would be doing injustice to the text to make them lighter than they actually are. This is one of them. There is a day coming when the age of grace is going to end. And you are not going to have an opportunity any longer to repent. Now here's the good news. Because we've not seen the total falling away of the church. Because we've not seen the rise of the Antichrist yet. And because we will not be here when that happens. Because the church will be raptured home. There's still some time. But I can't guarantee you that you're going to be here during that time. What I can say, you, say to you today is, 
Today is the day of salvation. Today you can receive and believe because tomorrow is promised to no one. Not to you and not to me. And that is not meant to pressure a single person. That is the truth. I have buried a lot of people, most of whom did not know that the day before they died was the last day they'd be on earth. I hesitate to say 100%, but it probably is 100% for the most part. Maybe there's one or two in there that, that just knew. Maybe God shared that with them. But here's the question for you today. It doesn't matter what someone else does with the gospel. It matters what you do with the gospel. It doesn't matter what I think about the gospel. It matters what you think about the gospel message. And scripture is quite clear on this issue. And what Jesus said was this. To believe on his name is to be saved. But to not believe, we read, leaves you where you already are, which is condemned. And the only time that you can change that is while you're still here. Because there is no such thing as purgatory. It's not taught anywhere in Scripture. You don't get to work it out after a few thousand years of paying some kind of penance. That's not found in your Bible. That's wishful thinking. The truth of what your Bible says is you have to make that choice before you exit this earth. Because what Scripture says is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if you are present with the Lord in grace, he says, enter in, well done, good and faithful servant. If you are not in Christ, he says, depart, for I have never known you. Either way, you're going to see Jesus temporarily. To be judged. Whether you're in or out. So today, believers, church, if you'd bow your heads, close your eyes and begin to pray for the people in this room right now. If you're here today, and not because I've frightened you, not because Scripture is just simply saying you need to make a choice, but because you know right now that you do not know Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord, Master, and also as your Savior, the one who can forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, if that's you and you want to make that choice before you leave to square away your eternity for the rest of eternity, if that's you and you're here today, then I'm simply going to ask you to raise your hand right where you're at. And we'll pray together before we leave. I see that hand. I see that hand as well. Are there any others? I see that hand. Anyone else? There's hands going up around the sanctuary. Any others? Praise the Lord. I see that hand. Look, it's a simple decision. You have to choose whether you want light or darkness. You have to choose whether you want eternal life or eternal damnation. You can have either. God is a gentleman. He'll let you do whatever your choice is. But he wants you to spend eternity with him. So if you want to do that and you don't know today that you're saved, you're a child of God, simply just slip your hand up. I'm going to pray with you right where you're at. We'll pray together. I see that hand as well. Anyone else? A moment longer. 
Thank you for your patience. Please be praying, Christians. Anyone at all, slip your hand up. Praise God. For those, I see that hand as well. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Those that have raised your hands, if you'd go ahead and put your hand down, and I'm going to ask you to repeat these words after me, but they can't be my words. They need to be your words, and you need to mean them from your heart. If you just simply pray this simple prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and I desperately need a Savior. I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive my sin and to cleanse me from my unrighteousness, to implant your Holy Spirit within me and to write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm asking you to take control of my life and help me to walk with you all of my days. I believe that you died on Calvary's cross and that you rose again in three days. And because of that, I now have eternal life by believing in your name. And I believe. Thank you for forgiving my sin, cleansing my life. Help me now to walk with you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.